Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hall, and I'm flying solo today. Tom is out. He is on jury duty, so send him some words of love whenever you get a chance. Before we begin, make sure that you check us out on iTunes. Give us a, a rating. If you love it, give us a five-star. Um, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Connect with us. Let us know how you how we're doing, and if you have any questions that we might be able to answer on the podcast live, we'd love to hear for about those as well. And lastly, we're launching the Tax and Legal Virtual Summit here within the next couple of weeks. But since you're listening to this podcast, you get to hear about it first. So the Tax and Legal Summit. If you go to www.taxandlegalsummit.com, it's a summit for real estate investors where all we're going to do for two days is talk about tax and legal issues. So you should be able to walk away from this summit with a really solid understanding of how to mitigate your taxes, as well as how to reduce liability exposure. We're bringing in a bunch of speakers. We're gonna have a bunch of tax people and a bunch of legal professionals all speaking to all of the participants in an online format. So we are gonna be holding it via a webinar sort of format, but it's gonna be two days, uh, sun up to sun down, we're going to have, I think we, we have about 30 sessions right now scheduled. So make sure that you go grab your ticket at taxandlegalsummit.com. If you use the code RECPA, you'll get a little bit of a discount there. So make sure that you use that code. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about real estate dealers versus investors. This is a big deal for anybody that's flipping property, developing property. Once you qualify as a real estate dealer, all of a sudden, all of the gain from the flipping of, uh, of those properties, from selling the inventory, it's gonna be considered ordinary income and it's gonna be subject to self-employment tax. So you lose the ability to claim short-term capital gains once you become a dealer. A real estate dealer is someone who sells real estate to customers in the ordinary course of his or her business. This usually includes land developers, subdividers, and home builders. Real estate dealers essentially sell inventory, which results in ordinary loss or income. By contrast, a real estate investor is someone who purchases and holds real estate for appreciation over a period of time. An investor who sells a parcel of real estate realizes a capital gain or loss on sale. Now you've noticed that a real estate dealer, they sell inventory resulting in ordinary income or loss, whereas an investor Whenever they sell, they get capital gain or loss. So again, we have ordinary versus capital income. In determining whether you are a dealer or an investor, it's really not as simple as just saying, well, my intent was to hold the property for rents and that, that's it, let's call it a day. It's nowhere near as simple as that. It's also not as simple as saying, well, I only flipped one every single year. That's not the way that it works. There's gonna be nine factors that you're gonna to have to step through and these are well established by the courts. So the first is the purpose for which the property was initially acquired. So why did you initially purchase the property? Did you purchase it to flip it or did you purchase it to rent? The second is the purpose for which the property was subsequently held. So has anything changed after that initial purchase? The third is the extent of improvements that the taxpayer made to the property. The fourth is the frequency, number, and continuity of the sales. The fifth is the extent and substantiality of the disposition of the property. The sixth is the extent and the nature of the taxpayer's business. The seventh is the extent of advertising promotion or other active efforts used in soliciting buyers for the sale of the property. The eighth is the listing of the property for sale through a broker. 
And the last one, the ninth factor, is the purpose for which the property was held at the time of disposition. It's important to note that no one single factor here or a combination of factors is going to be controlling. So a lot of people like to default to number one, the purpose for which the property was initially acquired. Well, that's great if the property was initially acquired to be a rental, but then if all other factors here point to the property was actually a flip, it's going to be a flip property. It's going to be a dealer property. It's going to be subject to ordinary income and self-employment taxes. The courts have found or have demonstrated, I should say, that in most cases, factors number four and five, the frequency, number, continuity, and substantiality of the sales um, are the most important factors. The second most important factors are the taxpayer's intent in acquiring and holding the property. And the third most important factors, I was going to say least most, but that's not true. So the third most important factors are going to be the extent of the taxpayer's improvement to the property. So a big question that we get is related to factor number four, which was the frequency, number, and continuity of the sales. So the big question is, how many properties can I sell before I kind of run afoul of, of this factor? And really, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. It overall depends on your facts and circumstances and everything else that you have going, or going on. But if the sales of properties extend over a period of several years, and the sales generate profits that comprise a substantial portion of your income, then they're gonna be considered frequent, continuous, and substantial. If you just have a one-off sale here and there, then you're probably okay, depending again on the facts and circumstances and the time period between the sales. But if you're getting into the habit of selling one property or two properties every single year for a number of years in a row, you're, you're gonna be subject to this factor, which is that frequent the frequency content continuity and substantiality of the sales. Um, and it's going to be tough to argue that you didn't have this sort of flipping intent, or, or it's going to be tough to argue out of the dealer position, I should say. But the second most important factors were the intent of acquiring and then holding the property. And the question is going to be, you know, when you acquired the property and you held the property, how do you demonstrate the intent that you did not hold it for sale? An investor that just holds property over time and just purely for appreciation, there's not much activity, that's going to demonstrate that investment intent. A property that is rented to tenants is also generally going to demonstrate that investment intent because it's not held out for sale since it's being rented to tenants. The onus ultimately is going to be on the taxpayer to prove out that the intent was not for resale, that instead the intent was for an investment. And this generally will require that you separate out the investment properties from the sale properties. So if you are investing in real estate and you're flipping properties, we would generally recommend that you break this apart into two separate LLCs. That way it's very clear as to what each business is actually doing at the end of the day and the intent that you have with all the properties associated with those businesses. Which kind of leads me to the next question, where, which is can a real estate dealer hold real estate as an investment? A real estate dealer may hold real estate as an investment, but again, it's going to be on the dealer to prove out that the real estate was actually held for investment. And this determination is primarily going to come about whenever we liquidate the property. So the question that we have to ask is, when we liquidate the property, was it at the time of sale uh, primarily held out for sale to customers in the ordinary course of our real estate trader business? And that, of course, brings us back to the nine factors that we discussed earlier. 
And remember, no single factor or combination of factors is controlling, meaning you do need to step through all nine of those factors, but the most important factors to consider are gonna be the frequency, the number, the continuity, and the substantiality of the sales. So if you do qualify as a dealer, uh, what happens? Well, first, it's important to understand that you no longer have capital assets. You have inventory that you're dealing with. The real estate becomes your inventory. You can almost think of it as a really big widget. So any costs that go into that inventory are, are going to become costs of goods sold. You'll also have some overhead costs, such as office costs, uh, computers, and things like that that don't necessarily go into any one piece of inventory. But any direct costs or indirect costs related specifically to the inventory will become cost of goods sold. And what that means is that you don't get to deduct any of those costs until you actually sell the property. So if I put $100,000 into a rehab on a property that I purchased for 50K, my all-in cost is $150,000. I don't get to deduct 150K until I sell the property. And when I sell the property, let's say I sell it for 200K, now I've got a net gain of $50,000. I figure that net, that net gain by reporting revenue of 200K and cost of goods sold of $150,000. And again, that $150,000 includes my purchase price, includes my closing costs, includes all, of my, all the improvements and the rehab that I made, includes all the utilities and the interest, everything. Everything is included in that 150K. So now as a dealer, I've got $50,000 of net income. This is going to be ordinary income. Ordinary income is subject to self-employment taxes. And depending on where my taxable income falls uh, and whether or not I've been paying into Social Security or, or, or I have other income that hits that Social Security threshold, I could be paying a 15.3% tax on the 50K before we even factor in my federal or my state marginal tax rates. So real estate dealers very quickly can get into an effective tax rate situation of like 40 to 50%. And if that's going to be you, the key is not to fight it. So you don't want to erroneously report that these are not inventory properties. You absolutely do not want to report these as capital assets subject to long-term or short-term capital gain or loss, because under audit, you will get crushed. You do want to go ahead and walk through those nine factors. And if you are a dealer, fess up, get it, get it on the tax returns, either on Schedule C or if you're smart, you're going to set up an LLC. You're going to tax that company as an S corporation to reduce your exposure to FICA taxes. You might even implement some sort of a C corporation structure to move profits off the books. Legally, of course, there has to be a legitimate business relationship. But you might be able to shift some profits into the C corporation, be subject to that flat 21% tax rate. When you qualify as a dealer, when you cross that threshold, you need to start thinking about entity structuring. You need to start thinking about that pretty hardcore. But there's some other things that you can do as well, like you can set up a solo 401k or self-directed IRA. You cannot do that if you are running a real estate business. Additionally, if you do have losses from your flips, um, you can fully deduct the losses. You don't have to, you're not gonna be subject to IRC section 469, which is the passive activity loss limitation section. You don't have to worry about qualifying as a real estate professional or anything like that. You're running a regular trader business. So if you generate losses from that regular trader business, you can take those losses as ordinary losses. You don't have to worry about the passive activity loss limitations. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it definitely requires some planning. And if, you are, if you're crossing that line or you're not really sure where you fall, feel free to give us a call or contact your current advisor. Make sure that you go through those nine factors um, ask yourself each one of those nine factors. Does this, does this sound like me or am I good here? And if you are 
hitting some of those factors as a dealer, you need to take a really hard look into your facts and circumstances to determine whether or not you are actually a dealer or whether or not you can qualify as an investor. The tax differences are incredible. So just make sure that you get a good understanding of where you're at and you'll be good to go. That's all I have today. We don't have any questions on our Q&A here, so we are going to go ahead and close out. But thanks a ton for tuning in to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Remember to give us a review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing and uh, check out the Tax and Legal Summit. Again, that's the www.taxandlegalsummit.com. Snag a ticket to that. You won't want to miss it. Thanks so much.